With us today is Lisa Headley, Ayurvedic practitioner, founder of the Mayflower Spa. This is Lisa Headley's strategies for dealing with stress. You can also find Lisa at lalife, L-A-H life.com. We're going to talk about one of my favorite things. Hi, Lisa. How are you? <laughs> I'm totally fine. I slept really well last night, so I am just much less prone to stress. And that is the subject of our talk today. Sleep, 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 sleep. And what happens when we don't get enough of it? So I have a lot of clients over time, and specifically this week, who have come to me saying, oh my gosh, I just can't sleep. Nothing I do is good enough. And I'm exhausted and I can't function. And I say, yes. There are study after study that shows that if we are not getting enough sleep, we are not functioning anywhere near at optimal levels. So that stretches from, you know, just general functionality, like sitting at your desk and trying to get work done, to how you interact with other people, short temper, quick to annoyance, all those things. So it's memory, concentration, your ability to think straight, but it's also heavily linked to things like inability to lose weight or weight gain, and hypertension, and all sorts of other really nasties. So sleep is very, very ultra important. And maybe the simplest way to understand why it's so important is just to think about the fact that it is your body's time to clean house, to refresh and restore and nourish the nervous system, among other systems. Right? So there's... So d- that very basic fact. And people tend to look at sleep as an issue without thinking, hmm, there are a lot of underlying reasons why I may not be sleeping well. It could be one thing and it could be another. So there is no, as with all things in Ayurveda land at least, and in my world, there's no one great answer, oh, here, this will help you. I mean, there is. Sleeping pills, (laughs) those will knock you out. But they have so many side effects, deleterious effects. A, they're interfering with the naturally nourishing, cleansing qualities of your sleep. B, they're addictive. C, you wake up feeling groggy and weird. D, E, F, G. I mean, just, you know, there's a whole list of reasons why I would steer very clear of chemical sleep inducers. Um, Is there a, a, I was just going to say, is there a common denominator to um, the reason that these, that, 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 that so many people are not sleeping? Well, I, just, I think, no, because I think that the, well, yes, I think that we are all overstimulated. That would be, if you had to ask me my one reason for the amount of insomnia I see, I would say overstimulation. But overstimulation means different things to different people. But the fundamental answer I give you is because when you are overtired, it's even harder to sleep. Because overtired means that your system, and the way we think of it in Ayurveda, is it's your pranic system, it's your energetic system. And when that gets overloaded, it's operating at too high a pace. It's like a live wire going, we've got to calm down that wire before anything looking like rest is on the horizon. So, yes, overstimulation. So, you know, on a very basic level, there are you know, simple things you can do. There's like this checklist, and I'll just run through the checklist just to give people an idea of the basic things. Now, this isn't taking into account some physiological reason for their insomnia. 
And that, those physiological reasons, just to back up a second, can be things like menopause in women. Women who wake up consistently at 2 and 3 in the morning, that is something we called early morning awakenings, EMAs for short in my biz. And that's very common in premenopausal and menopausal women. And it is, there's specific remedies for that because that's a condition where the heat in your body is breaking through at that early morning hour and waking you up. Now, you can be exhausted and it will still wake you up. But for the run-of-the-mill insomniac tendencies, let me run through the list where you can become your own sleep expert with these kinds of tips. Beyond this, if these tips, if you really look at them and do them and they're not helping you, then you need to go and look at some other underlying causes and symptoms like the one I just mentioned and like alcohol. You know, drinking alcohol at night makes you nice and drowsy. You fall asleep at 10.30 and you wake up, boing, at 1.30 or 2 because the alcohol is out of your system. Its sedative qualities are no longer at work. And now you're dealing with the deleterious qualities of that alcohol consumption and that keeps you awake. So back to my becoming your own sleep expert list. Um, you know, number one is early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And part of the reason for that is because you're in touch with the rhythms of the day. So, you know, if you've ever been on a camping trip or been lucky enough to go to one of those camps, even as an adult, when they take away all your electronic devices, including the electricity in your room, you know that, you know, you can't really read by candlelight for too long. So when the sun sets, you're pretty much ready for sleep as soon as the campfire burns out. You go to sleep. When the sun rises in the morning, it knocks you in the face and you're up. You're in the natural rhythms of the day. So early to bed, early to rise is really talking about that. One of the sort of sayings that goes is that the best sleep happens before midnight, and that, again, is partially due to the realities of the way the sun and the moon play on the earth and play on the energies of the earth, and therefore the more restful hours of sleep are said to be before midnight. Um, in fact, they say that every hour before midnight is worth two after midnight. So if you go to sleep when the sun sets, whatever time of year it is, so let's just call it 8 p.m. No one's going to sleep at 8 p.m. Let's say you go to sleep at 10. That's not true if you get up at 3. <laughs> well, it would be good if we did. But let's just say, then you're really getting two or three hours before midnight, which is the equivalent of six hours of sleep if you're going to sleep at 2 in the morning, or the relative equivalent. So that math adds up very quickly. So you can see where, you know, somebody needing eight hours of really good solid sleep could get much more quality time earlier. So that's that, number one. Number two, eat early and eat less. And again, that wine may not be helping you. So, you know, during most of your active digest, do most of your active digesting before you lay down to go to sleep. Your system slows down when you lay down to go to sleep, including your digestive system. But when you've eaten a big meal, you need your system to be in full-bore overload to deal with what you've eaten. And we all, we Americans tend to overeat anyway. And when you overeat at in an evening time, overeat meaning maybe lots of different things. You know, maybe you have a soup and then you have a big dinner with some lots of carbs and then you have a big dessert and you've had wine. That's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of different things for your body to deal with and metabolize. And you want that to be done before you try to lay down and go to sleep. So... 
that's that subject. And you will see immediate benefits if you're a very big meal eater late at night and you, you just try for a few days to eat smaller meal at evening, which is always correct anyway, earlier so that you have time. Then, and this is huge, all systems down. Begin the process of shutting down by dimming the lights in your house. Turn off the electronics. There are some people who even fanatically believe <laughs> that you should unplug lamps and you shouldn't plug in your iPhone next to your bed and all those electromagnetic devices should be turned off in your sleep area. So I don't, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. It's an interesting theory. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it really will make a difference or not, but it is interesting. I mean, think about it, all that electric current buzzing around you. I know for a fact that when there's a great storm and my power goes out, I sleep better. There's no hum in my house, you know. It's just that natural sound. So, I don't know. I know, and it's really hard because I I, I don't want to say uh, argue, but it's close with people all the time when they say they can't sleep because the first thing in a lot of cases you can encourage is turning off the tele the devices and the computer people who take their computers to their bedrooms astound me and their phones and how 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 do you expect to be able to sleep can't you can't you sort of feel the hum so to speak so that's well, yeah i mean and then there's an added problem and i even do this <laughs> i have taken to reading the newspaper at night on my iPad. Well, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. It, that's it, not for yeah. me to say that. I it's apologize. It's completely ridiculous, except I have enough practices that I do that actually I sleep really well most of the time. But when I find that I don't, that would be the first culprit. But, I, yes, it's a big deal. It is a big deal because they know through studies that the light emitted from computer screens, and your, that includes your PD, your personal devices and your iPad, fools with your circadian rhythms. It's a very bright light in your face. It makes your body feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be awake. I'm supposed to be up, up, up. And the TV is the same. And, the t and you know, clearly my little habit of the iPad with the news couldn't be worse. Because what's in the news? Terrible things that get your mind thinking and worrying and, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's also written in such a way that is, you know, guaranteed to make you a little, if, if you weren't feeling a little <laughs> oh, anxious. Um, totally. It's the overstimulation, right? So right. I, I, the worst thing you could possibly do, there's no question. And, and which leads me to the next item on the list, which is sedate those wild and frenetic energies. And I don't mean with an Ambien. I mean with like a nighttime elixir, you know, one of these, like hot milk and honey. Uh, I, I have a couple on the website, and one's called Nighty Night. They're, they're, you can make them with almond milk. You could make them with... Uh, with coconut milk. You can make it with whatever if you don't like to drink milk milk, although milk actually has sedative qualities to it, cow's milk, that is. So there's options there, but these kinds of natural sedatives, valerian tea, chamomile tea, try that. If you're finding that your energies are so uh, enervated, you have to sedate those. So how to do that? Well, you can do it with those, or you can do it with evening practices. So developing an evening practice, 
What does that mean? Well, you know, I'm always talking about morning practices. You can take hold of your physical and mental self for the day. Well, evening practices are your time to take hold of your racing mind and just say, shut it, (laughs) like shut it. So physically, if you're holding a lot of tension in your body, think about doing a moon salutation practice. It's like a sun salutation. It's just a series of physical movements, long, slow breathing, which just starts to signal to your body to release the tensions and let go. There's a breathing practice. Again, you can find it on the website called Soham Meditation Breathing. Um, It'll quiet and balance and reset the mind. Uh, a, a conventional nighttime meditation allows you to bring in an intention that can then rest with your, with your sleeping mind, right? So that could be powerful. Things like brushing your teeth and your hair are simple rituals that a lot of us do every night. Do them. They're rituals, you know. That's a good thing. And, and incorporate these other rituals into them. Um, a classic Ayurvedic one is massaging the feet with sesame oil, with warm sesame oil. Um and or the scalp, that's a little messy for me. But oil on your feet is easy. You know, you, you just warm it up in the hot water. You warm up some oil by sticking it in a little cup of hot water, the, the bottle, that is. And then after you've massaged your own feet, you can do it yourself. Or if you're lucky, you can get a spouse to do it, or a child, better yet. And then put socks on so you avoid slipping or staining. So that's a great one. Then, of course, there's the bath. You know, put some essential oil drops in there and take some deep breaths and relax. So those are all examples of the types of evening practices that don't have to take too long, but you can do easily. And, of course, emptying the mind literally is a great one. So we've talked about lists, lists, lists. Well, you know, I keep my list by my bed, and I I literally dump. I empty the thoughts in my head onto this list so that in the morning I know it's there, I know I don't have to worry about them as I go to sleep, and if I wake up in the middle of the night for some reason, I can add to that list without turning the light on, of course. And um, so I know it's there, and I don't have to worry about it in my mind, oh, am I going to remember that or not. And then, you know, when all else fails, you just have to surrender to it. You've got to surrender a little bit to the idea that sleep may just be elusive to you on this particular night. Um, when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to, if I couldn't sleep, I would take my pillow and put it at the foot of my bed, like sleep backwards on my bed. And it was that, like just a little shift, which would make me able to sleep. So my advice is do some more so-hum breathing, do some body scanning, listen to a yoga nidra. Those are the sort of all-else-fails methods. And if sleep is failing you night after night after night, despite trying some of these things, well, then we got to start looking at some more serious underlying causes or just more acute issues and worries and anxieties in your life that you're going to have to find ways throughout the day to modify or rectify so that they don't plague you at night. Because the one thing that's really true is that the less you sleep, the worse these things get, and the worse they get, the less you sleep. So it is definitely a vicious cycle. And what I'm struck by, I, I wonder, obviously, if a person's got an acute situation, um, if, somebody, if there's somebody who's really ill or there's uh, problems or, or intense worries, um, do they, um, are, are, would you have them do anything different? 
No, but I would do something much more. Instead of just sort of vaguely suggesting that you try one of these seven approaches, I would develop a real program that I would say, you must try this for two weeks. You know, just take it a little more seriously is the point. So if you're suffering from, you know, intermittent issues, fine. Try any and all of these. See what happens for you. But if I'm working with a client and they have really specific long-term sleep problems or going through a divorce or having specific issues, then I would work with them to develop some practices that will really give them some peace. Because nothing is more frustrating than the going, okay, she said to try Soham breathing. So you try it and it just doesn't work. And then you get more frustrated and you think, what's the matter with me? And it just gets exponentially worse. That you know that very worry tension matrix gets worse and worse. So there's almost uh, it 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 is the same, but it isn't because you're the people that you're dealing with right now. Is it just wow? I can't sleep. My life is just I'm just too overstimulated during the day, and then when I go to sleep, I can't sleep. I just lie there. Sometimes I mean I have a client that's going through a divorce, a very unexpected, very nasty, hit you in the face, wasn't expecting it kind of situation, and she simply can't sleep. She's her, she's just so upset, and when she wakes up, she can't get herself back to sleep. And, you know, that's, that's a psychological impetus for a physical manifestation. So what we're doing is working on really breathing practices three times a day, working to really look at what stimulant foods she's eating. So we're just stripping away everything to give her the best possible chance before resorting to you know, an anti-anxiety medication, which we've talked about she may need. She right. may start that next week. That may be it. She's in a very acute phase of distress. And, you know, sometimes you just you have to bring out the really big guns, you know. And so you can allow your body to get some sleep so that you can, as I say, have enough energy to get yourself to sleep. <laughs> you know, it's it's a funny thing. And as I mentioned earlier, Um, People who drink a lot at night, you know, two, three glasses, maybe more of wine with dinner, frequently report sleep disturbances because, as I say, you know, the wine acts as a sedative early in the evening. And then when that sedative effect wears off, you're dealing with the harsh astringent effects of the alcohol in your body, right? You get dehydrated different chemical things have happened and you're up and you're like, woo, can't go to sleep. Why was I so sleepy? And now I'm wide awake because it was a false sedative, right? It was a false right. signal to the brain. And now you're dealing with the after effects in your body of trying to clean up the tox- toxins that you put in there. And your body does a good job of cleaning toxicity on its own, but it's very hard when you pump it full and then you go to sleep. So that's one issue. And then, as I mentioned, those early morning awakenings, which plague Many, many, many women, they say to me, I can't sleep, and we start to talk about it. Well, it's not usually that they can't fall asleep. It's usually that they wake up with these early morning awakenings, which are a physiological function, and then the thoughts start to come. You know, once you're lying there, the minute... But So for some women that I've worked with, and for me, in fact, <laughs> specifically, sometimes if I just, when I wake up at that hour, and I look and I go, oh, it's 2.30, huh? If I, quick, do some alternate nostril breathing, do some so-hum breathing, something to bring me back closer to my sleep state, I will be able to drift back into sleep. The minute I start to let the thoughts take over and or I get up and turn on a light or God help you, you get out and turn up 
on your computer or the television, well, then you've gone very far down a rabbit hole that's hard to recover from at 3 in the morning. Um, so, you know, there's those types of things. Then there's a whole host of other things. There are snoring spouses and barking dogs and mewing cats and children who need to get know, up and go to the bathroom. The yeah. <laughs> there are all those uncontrollable disturbances which, you know, if, if the dog is barking hysterically and you are worried there is a robber at your back door, that's a little hard to go to sleep after. Right? But, the, but then do, do you take steps? Yes. Then, right, okay. okay, that example. Let's take that example. Okay. Because that happens to people, right? It doesn't happen every night, but it happens from time. Although I had a client once who used to tell me that her dog barked every night, sat at the window. They lived in Brooklyn or something. It was way before Brooklyn was Brooklyn, but anyway. Um and the dog woke her every night, every night. Every, oh, sorry, it was a cat. It was a cat mewing at the window and then came and sat on her head. And I said, well, we're not going to get rid of the cat, so we've got to figure out a way to help the cat through its behavior. Right? This woman, But the woman wasn't willing to do it. So the question was, was the cat anxious and nervous because it wasn't in some kind of a contained space? That's why it wanted to come and sit on your head. Uh, maybe you need to close it in another room so that it can't, you can't even hear it. No, 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 she needed her cat near her. Okay, then let's try the cat sleeping with you from the beginning. No, you don't like the cat sleeping with you. How about, like, the version of a dog crate for the cat? You know, it, it took a long time for us to figure out what she was willing to do and not to do. But the fact of the matter was there was a specific out external thing keeping her awake. And as much as she wanted to sleep, she wasn't willing to remedy that thing. So you really have to look at what's keeping you awake. What What is it? Because right. if you're trying to do alternate nostril breathing, but the cat's still mewing and clawing at your head, you're not it's, going to You're not to going sleep. to go to sleep, right. <laughs> and but people don't see it that way. It's very funny. I see that time and time again. It's like, but I'm doing all these things. I'm like, yeah, but the, the things yeah, that are Yeah, but there's a safe lying on your foot, so it's going to hurt. <laughs> and that's, right? that's the part, well, I, to me, that's so much of a theme right now. Um, and I'm always walking around shaking my head and muttering because it's, well, okay, but shouldn't that door have been locked, for example? Shouldn't the front door of the White House have been locked? So you can get caught up in the whole drama and testimony, and it's, if the cat's mewing at the window, you're not going to get to sleep. If the kid is running in every night and saying, Mommy, 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 you're not going to get to sleep. Right. And there are... Uh, uh, or the uh, snoring husband. Yeah. So it definitely needs to be... Again, I, I always think this is where it's helpful to talk to somebody else about it because they're more likely to uh, notice that there might be an external irritant. Well, that is the beauty. You know, I, I often have clients say to me, oh, my God, how did I not see that? Well, it's easy. I mean, I have that experience. I am a practitioner who doles out this kind of advice and recommendation and works with people. And every once in a while, I'll call my own supervisor guy, my Ayurvedic doctor, and tell him something, and he'll go, ha, huh, look at it this way. And I look at it and go, how did I not see that? If I was my own client, I would have seen that in two seconds. Well, the answer is you can't be your own doctor and you shouldn't be anyone in your close family's doctor either, because you need objectivity. 
sometimes you just need objectivity and people with other ideas and other ways to approach something who can give you suggestions and then you can hear and see if they fit into something that makes sense to you. So when I write a post like the one I wrote, How to Become Your Own Sleep Expert, I'm really just offering suggestions to people and hoping that something in it will pique their interest because somewhere deep in their own heart they know, ah, my underlying problem really has to do with sedating my wild and frenetic energies more than it has to do with um, with what I'm eating at night. You know, they'll sort of connect to and see which issues belong to them. And that that will make a, a world of difference. Thank you very much, Lisa Headley, Ayurvedic practitioner, founder of the Mayflower Spa, Lisa Headley's Strategies for Dealing with Stress. Lisa can also be found at lawlife.com. Thank you.